All right, welcome to episode three of the What's on the Line podcast. My name is David Sikorsky, the executive director of CCA Maryland. Of course, if you're not familiar with CCA Maryland, that's the Coastal Conservation Association Maryland, and we're one of the state chapters of CCA, a nationwide recreational angler organization based in Houston, Texas, and started in 1977. We are the nation's largest tidal water recreational angler membership-based organization, so come on over and join CCA by going to joincca.org or ccamd.org slash join. So at the What's on the Line podcast, we'd love to talk about fishing and all the pieces of the puzzle around it, whether it be fisheries management or policy, but also just tips and tricks and kind of what's going on. Um, So here we are in early June of 2019. Last weekend, we had our 16th annual Fly and Light Tackle Tournament based with our uh, Kent Narrows chapter, so the Kent Narrows Fly and Light Tackle Tournament. And uh, we set a record. We had 159 anglers come out and enjoy a beautiful day on the water. It was just a fantastic early June Saturday. Uh, No rain, no wind. Well, a little bit of wind in the morning, but folks got to push through it and, and have some good fishing. And I think if you've been fishing recently, you know that a lot of the fresh water and the weather patterns we've had have made it made it a little bit tough on the Chesapeake and definitely different than most years. So we're still dealing with uh, low salinities and and quite a bit of rain, especially further up in the watershed. So I'm sure the Conowingo Dams has some floodgates open and it's affecting fishing. And we've never really recovered salinity wise since uh, since last year's record rainfall. And I think those records continue to be broken. But folks, we're out there, uh, a lot of fishing going on around the Bay Bridge, um, a lot of in Eastern Bay. Of course, June 1st was the first day that all the different areas throughout the Bay are open for striped bass or rockfish fishing. Uh, so folks got to spread out a little bit and have some fun. And, uh, and the competition was pretty steep uh, there in, in our tournament. And the folks came back to the jetty bar at, uh, the Kent Narrows and had a great, great party, had some great food from, um, we had tons of great sponsors that support that event and, uh, had folks from, you know, we had youth prizes, women prizes, Kent, uh, kayak, light tackle fly, and then the, the three fish team stringer. So you can check all that out on our Facebook and Instagram, all the details of that. And of course, uh, as, as the summer moves on, Rockfish, white perch, catfish. Um, there's some hot red drum bite happening down at the mouth of the bay, it sounds like, and cobia are going to start their way north. But we're fortunate in Maryland that it's not all Chesapeake Bay all the time. There's a ton of great fishing that goes on up in the non-tidal portions of our state, and uh, anything from trout to bass and uh, you know muskies on some of these rivers that it's becoming a really popular fishery. But we can never forget our short little stretch of coastline in Ocean City, Maryland. So, you know, there's some great fishing down there, and our guest today, Mr. Scott Lennox from Fishing OC, is joining us to talk to uh, talk to us about all that great fishing down there. So, Scott, welcome to the What's on the Line podcast. What's up, Dave? How are you, man? I'm doing well. How are you? I felt like I was back on the radio there for a second, so I had to throw my old woo in there. I'm doing great. <laughs> doing great. Fantastic. Well, great to have you. And so it's early June. Um, Ocean City fishing is just getting fired up. And, you know, if, if folks are anything like me, uh, you know, I grew up an angler, loved to go fishing. That's how I ended up in this in this position, you know, talking about fishing every day. Um, yeah. You know, I, I was fortunate enough to have a little a beach house for the early part of my life uh, in Ocean Pines and played around and everything I could do. I was getting on the water and hanging out and trying to fish. And, um, and you know, so I, I got to spend a lot of time in Ocean City. And, and of course, all through my 20s and stuff, I, I spent as much time down there walking the docks and getting out fishing as much as possible. So uh, it's a place that's near and dear to me, and I love all the aspects of fishing and unfortunately don't get down there nearly enough. 
but look forward to my my couple of trips I'll make this summer. So um, why don't you tell us a little bit about fishing OC and how you've ended up where you are? Um, I know you're a passionate angler, and give us a little bit of a background on uh, on what you do. Hey, your, Dave, your story sounds a lot like mine, man. I, I came down to Ocean City in 1991. I was uh, first year in college. I just graduated from high school the year before and spent the summer down here, and it was an absolute blast. I got my first job as a dockhand at Bahia Marina and ran the docks there, scooping minnows and renting boats and things like that. Um, and then I eventually moved into the tackle shop. After I graduated college, I got married and moved down here to the beach full-time. And I tried the regular nine to five jobs and things like that. I worked for the Daily Times for a little while and I uh, sold some other advertising in another place, which brings me to fishing OC later. But um, at the time, I just kept finding myself back at the marina and back around fishing boats and I made money at it. So it was just worth worth it for me to do that and have a good time while I was making a living. So I moved from the tackle shop to working on a boat called the Virginia. I made it on the Virginia for a while. I made it on the Tortuga, which is still here in Ocean City. It's a bay flounder fishing boat. And then when Sunset Marina was built um, in, I think, 2000, 2001 timeframe, uh, I moved over there. I ran the store at Sunset Provisions for 10 years almost. Um, and then I got out of the fishing business for a little while. And in the meantime, Dave Messick from Hooked on OC came to me. He had a TV show called uh, hardcore offshore at the time and it stopped uh, he and the host parted ways he came to me while i was working at provisions and said hey we're looking for a host for the show can't pay you but you know i know you enjoy doing it i can get you on some really great boats fishing offshore and that sort of thing for free and i was all about it and it also we were able to promote the marina and the store so i thought it was a win-win situation we started doing that in 2000 yeah 2004 i think it was late 2004 2005 um and then i left the fishing in, I guess it was 2010, started into the golf world, and I became an assistant pro here at a local golf course in Ocean Pines. But it, the fishing just kept calling my name. I was still doing hooked on OC at the time, and I was really spoiled. I was I was a fisherman, you know, by day, a golfer by evening. Um, so it was kind of the best of both worlds. But then the golf world kind of got a little bit, um, I don't know, a little bit uncertain, let's say. And I decided to start the fishing OC business. And that's that's where I am now. Um, fishing OC, comprehensive website and um, fishing report and magazine that we do once a year. And I get referred to as the Ocean City Fishing Guy all the time as people as I walk by people because they see me on TV and they see my fishing report online. So it's flattering for me because I love doing it. I, re- I really don't consider myself to work a day in my life. I love it. I love it. That's fantastic. Yeah, and I. Uh... You know, I, I love that you went down through your timeline in Ocean City. Um, I'm a little bit younger than you, and so I, I uh, graduated high school in 2000 and then college in 2004. And so during those early years of uh, of my or my college years, of course, we'd spend a lot of time at the beach and with friends and having a good time. And um, you know, I love loving to fish, but you know, not all my buddies like to fish. And of course, when hey, you're, sure. yeah, you know, you're in your early 20s, you got other things on your mind and there's, there's plenty of distractions down there too, right? So I do remember specifically like getting a hard time from friends because I went, you know, I want to watch this fishing show, this Hooked on OC show, because it's about local fishing and right here, right now. And, and you know, so that's actually where I remember seeing Scott Lennox for the first time was, was right there. And so you say 2004 is when you became the host of Hooked on OC, huh? Yeah, 
Yeah, it was 2000, 2004, 2005. You know, we, 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 I think it was 2005 officially that, we, that I became the host of the show. Um, that, that was the first summer. And you're saying what year? You were probably just graduating college? Yep, yep. 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 Down there without a that, care in mind, uh, wishing I was fishing, but probably misbehaving too much to even uh, save enough money or, or get out there and fish too much. <laughs> but that's, that's great. <laughs> That's great. You yeah. remember the half hour show. We were still 30 minutes at that point. Yeah. And now we're, we just started our 15th season. The show is an hour long. And back then you probably watched it on local cable access on Comcast or something like that. Um, and now we're on the local ABC affiliates. So we're going to 300,000 plus households every weekend. And we got Nielsen ratings last year that the station was really kind of stoked about. And it's all really, really flattering for us, man, to, to, to think that people tune into a television show than I do that Dave Messick shoots for us and he puts together and does all the dirty work. Um, it's really humbling. And to see people out on the street that, you know, say hello, and, and it's the weirdest thing for me to sign an autograph for somebody or have someone say, hey, man, can, can I get a picture taken with you? It's the strangest thing to me, but um, I, I do it every single time somebody asks me because they're the people watching the show. They're the ones that keep – you know, sponsors happy because they go in and buy their products. Um, and it's really flattering to me that someone wants to take time out of their day to watch something that we do. Well, absolutely. And I think you guys, uh, you make the show is so genuine to me and it makes, you know, it's all, I always really enjoyed it because it's, to me, it gives the true flavor of ocean city. It's a couple local guys, you know, whether you were born and raised there or came there at an early age, I think your, your story is very similar to a lot of folks in ocean city. And, you know, just from a numbers perspective, how big is Ocean City in the wintertime? I think year-round residents in Ocean City is less than 50,000. And that's probably pretty- gone up quite a bit recently, right, with, you know, retirement, retirees? and Yeah, as, as Ocean City has grown and more condominium units are available and that sort of thing, um, that's just in town. You know, we've got, we've got loads of people who live outside in Ocean Pine, the Berlin, Ocean City, that don't count toward that number, obviously. But um, the, the actual strip... I think Ocean City residents are less than 50,000, pretty certain of that. And uh, that number has gone up from probably somewhere in the twenty or 30,000 range over the past 10 or 15 years. Yeah, and I think anybody that's spent a lot of time in Ocean City loves the, the wintertime version where you get down there, the, the stoplights are flashing, you know, you get a good hooded sweatshirt on and head out to the boardwalk or, you know, some of the haunts around town that are so busy in the summertime. It's it's a really enjoyable place in the uh in the spring, in the fall, in the winter. Um, and as fishermen, there's, of course, fishing opportunities that time of year as well. But how big does Ocean City get? Yeah, all year long, and we can fish this summertime. I've heard those, you know, they've got those, whatever, they, those flush estimates that they do based on how many people are in town, you know, how many times the toilet gets flushed. Um, and I've heard numbers like 350 to 375,000 on, on busy weekends during wow. the summertime. Wow. That's great. Well, no, that's... You know, it's an important place, and folks love to get down there and enjoy the beach. And uh, for folks like me and you, fishing is such a, a big part of that. So for uh, for a guy that lives down there, what is your fishing year like? like what's What are you focused on in the wintertime? And then kind of bring us up to now, and then we'll keep talking about uh, what the rest of the year should look like and how folks can uh, find out more information and, and get out there and do it themselves. So what do you what do you do over the winter? I actually do a timeline in my magazine on what we catch when, and We've found that recently we, we think, we're pretty certain, um, that we have a year-round striped bass um, population. So when the water gets really, really cold, I think we think they go dormant. But 
there's no way that small stripers between, let's say, 18 and 26 inches are migrating into our bay in January just because. They're here. We think they're here year-round. We can catch that size fish pretty much year-round. So as soon as we get one of those Indian summer days where it's 60, 65 degrees, the water temperature warms up into the upper 40s maybe, um, we're straight bass fishing. Um, nothing is ever big enough to keep. You know, our, our size limit down here on the coast is 28 inches, and we also have a slot where we can't keep them from 38 to 44 inches. But nothing is ever over 26 inches in the wintertime. I've never seen a keeper caught. Uh, I say never, but I, I don't know of any in the past 10 or 15 years since I've been doing this stuff where a keeper rockfish has been caught in the wintertime behind Ocean City. Now, we've got some migrating fish that go by, and they go by late where they're here December, January, early part of February as they migrate by, depending on the water temperature and the bait. We've seen some, some keepers caught from inside of three miles out in the ocean, but we don't see those fish back in the bay. So that keeps us busy on nice days, January, February, even into March we catch them. But then things kind of change as the water temperature warms up, and we start to see some flounder in the bay, some shad show up, bluefish will show up. We had a really great run of bluefish this year. Um, Fish as big as 36 inches, I heard. You know, that's up in the 15-pound range probably. Most of the fish are going to average in that, you know, same size limit. 18, maybe 26 inches is a big one, but we do see those big choppers in the 30-plus range come through once in a while. I even I was fishing with our good friend Big Bird Cropper a few weeks ago, and I caught one 33 inches fishing with him just outside the jetty. Sweet. Um, yeah, really, really nice fish, and there's lots of them. Uh, we're not allowed to keep hickory shad, but they're mixed in there with the bluefish, so you catch and release those. And then April rolls around, and the flounder bite is what people start to go for. Um, it, it, it switches over from bluefish, uh, shad, stripers, the occasional tall tog. We'll still have some guys go and try and catch a tall tog early season around the rocks and jetties in Ocean City. Um, the party boats are heading offshore in March uh, for, for tall tog until that season closes in May. And April is more of a flounder fishery. We're looking for the first flounder of the season. Uh, it's usually sometime first part of April. Pretty cool story. My wife and I were out fishing this year looking for the first flounder, and I'll be dang if she didn't catch it. We caught the uh, the first keeper flounder of the season on April 4th this year down behind Astigue Island. Um, give myself a little self-promotion. You know our friend, you know Dale Simmons, right? You yep. know that name? Yep. Dale, the originator and publisher of the Coastal Fisherman for 30-plus years, 35 I think it was. And he made a line of rigs through the name Assateague Tackle, and his very best rig was the Deadly Double, something I used pretty much exclusively for the past 10 years or so since he invented it and, and gave me a couple back then. Well, just recently, Dale had to stop making them because he was doing everything hand-tied and his shoulders started to hurt, and he just couldn't financially support the cause because he wasn't making any money at it, and why would you do that just to supply tackle shops with rigs? So he, as a great friend of mine, gave me the design to use and bring back as a fishing OC rig. And we brought back the deadly double, and she caught the fish on that deadly double. Dale's design on a, on a uh, product that we were able to have manufactured overseas and brought in, and sales for it have been tremendous. It really is a great flounder rig. And we've gotten ourselves some great marketing by catching fish on it, especially that first one of the season, which, you know, ate one of our deadly double rigs. That's um, awesome. So, so what, uh, give me a visual. What's a deadly double look like? Because I'm a, you know, I'm one of those yep. guys that I, I have. In fact, my wife told me the other day. She said, "Dave, if you bring in one more bin from the garage and start unloading this <laughs> new hobby, I, I'm just like, she's like, I, I can't believe it. There's something new with you yep. every single day, and that's the way I've always been. I, you know, from hunting to fishing, you name it. I've got all these toys that I probably don't really use, and I can literally picture myself walking into a tackle shop and going, 
Oh, I know what I can use for flounder. Probably picking yeah. picking the wrong thing. So tell me why the de- or the the double. What is it? The deadly double. Uh, deadly double. Yeah, and what's it look yeah, like, and and how do we rig that up to first success? Yeah, it's a, it, if you buy it from one of the local tackle shops or from me online, you basically just tie it on and put a sinker on it. You're ready to roll. Um, it's a it's a basic top and bottom rig, but Dale has done it in a way that it's not one of those short leadered, um, you know, covers about a two square feet of surface area when you're down there fishing. It's a really long leader. So when you hold the swivel down to the sinker, it's about three and a half feet distance-wise that way. It's got a top lead that has about 24 inches on it and a bottom lead that has about 30 inches on it. So it's a really big rig. It covers a lot of area when you're down there flounder fishing. It's got beads and spinner blades on it as well. And instead of using the old regular um, wide gap hook, we use a live bait hook. Uh, So it's a little bit bigger. It holds gulp and things like that a little bit better. And flounder have a big mouth. Despite what some people think, they have a really large mouth for their size. So they're able to get baits in there no problem, and that live bait hook doesn't have any problem getting in there and getting a hook, good hook set on them. The spinner blades are great colors. They seem to attract the fish when you know they're, they're not biting on other baits, on regular baits. Um, and the hook holds the bait really well. So we usually use gulp baits with them. I, I, dude, when I first started hearing about gulp baits, I, and they said one of their slogans was outfish live bait, mm-hmm. and I'm like, there's they do. I mean, they are a remarkable bait, and uh, Berkeley's got to be making a ton of money on them because um, every time we every time we tell somebody to pick up a, a fishing OC deadly double rig and try it out, we recommend Gulp because you don't even need minnows, you don't need squid, you don't need shiners, that sort of thing. Some people will still use all those baits just because they're you know they're set in their ways or they work better for them. Um, but the Gulp artificials, it's in a little tub. It looks like a, a grub tail, basically. And you put that thing on there, and that's it. Drop it to the bottom, and it flounder around. This combination seems to catch them pretty well. We, um, I give you a quick short story on why we even went through with with buying the uh, the rigs. You, like you just said, mentioned your wife about spending money, right? Well, we, when we first got the prototypes for the rigs, we didn't have an opportunity to test them very well. And one of the things we wanted to do before making a big purchase was put them to the test. We want to make sure the knots don't come undone, the spinner blades spin right, and all that sort of thing before we order thousands and thousands of dollars worth of rigs uh, to make it, you know, official for us. Well, last year in October, we took two of the prototypes, one chartreuse and one pink, and we fished the East Channel at the Route 50 Bridge. And it was October the 25th or 6th, I think. Fish flounder are probably leaving the bay by then. The water temperatures are cooling down. She and I had 45 flounder on a four-hour trip, and we had four keepers mixed in there, 18 to 20 inches. Wow. So as that happened, she said, yep, we're buying these rigs. And uh, we we placed the order. We got them in early this year. We put them on the website and started selling to local tackle shops uh, sometime in February, I think it was, just so they could get them on the shelf. And since then, we have sold a lot of them. And it's not just because I've got good marketing built in. You know, we've used the Fishing OC Fishing Report and Hooked on OC. We've used them on the show. They work, man. Everybody that's buying them is sending me pictures about, hey, caught this on the deadly double today. Caught this on the deadly double today. Um, so we're really proud that Dale Craig, we were able to, you know, let it live on and you know, get makes us a couple of bucks and get some good branding out there while it's helping people catch flounder. Absolutely. And that's you know, that's such a cool part of the the fishing world everywhere. You know, you've got these local folks that come up with a with a rig or a way to catch fish, because that's what we all want to do. 
and does to, to, to have that story that carries on to the next generation and you guys be able to be successful and you know future generations to fish with that rig that's great and you know that ingenuity in the fishing industry is something that uh that 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 flame is always lit bright i think i think every single one of us is always thinking of a new way to to catch another fish so that's great now color wise is there a magical uh magical color you prefer you know what, man? It changes for me. I'm, I'm a, I like pink early season because back here in our bays, uh, in the early season, you know, April, May, even first part of June, there's a lot of grass shrimp in our marshes. And when the flounder are moving in from the ocean, that's what their, that's what their mainstay is. That's what their staple diet consists of is, is grass shrimp. So the pink looks a little bit more like a grass shrimp. Um, that being said, my wife loves chartreuse, and she caught the first fish on the chartreuse version of the deadly double. So it really shut my my theory down for for <laughs> there I was using pink and she catches the first fish on on a, a chartreuse. Now just a week or so later, you know, we were using the pink and the pink started to outfish the chartreuse. So I think the chartreuse color is very bright. So that's an that's an attractant for a flounder to see because they're sight feeder. When they see flash go by, it, it kind of piques their interest. And if the bait looks good to them, they're going to take a bite. Whereas I think the pink. Um, does mimic a grass shrimp color a little bit better than the chartreuse. But as the summer moves on and the water temperatures change and the grass shrimp become, um, you know, less abundant, they start moving over to mullet and minnows and uh, shiners, spot, that sort of thing. And also the water clarity will change. Early season back in our bays, the water clarity is usually pretty good because the ocean is nice and cool, doesn't have a chance for algae blooms and things like that to happen. So during the summer, like we're experiencing now, we only have certain tides where the water is nice and clean. Like right now, it's just a high tide where the water's clean. And when it starts going out or it's on a low tide, it's pretty dirty. So you want to use a chartreuse when that's happening because then they have a better chance of seeing your bait uh, when the water conditions don't, you know, are the best for you. Um, that's exactly that's exactly what we're experiencing right now. And sometimes... Uh, the water is so dirty, you're just not going to catch a flounder. There's no, no two ways about it. Yeah, yeah, that's the, uh, I'll tell you, I've had more trips where I hear there's a good bite going on, and uh, before working for CCA, I was self-employed, so I'd just hop in the truck and hitch up the boat, and my dad and I would head down, or a friend and I would head down, and I, I can't tell you, I can make the water turn dirty and you know, with a 130-mile trip or whatever it is to get down there and go, oh, man, I should have been here yesterday, or tomorrow's going to be the great day. But, you know, that's the way it goes. Well, it's very wind dependent down here. The water clarity can change overnight. It can change in one tide uh, from clean to dirty, depending on which way the wind blows and how hard it blows. Yeah, yeah. Also, uh, you know, I know there's a lot of different grasses and stuff too. So how does that affect? Uh, you know, I know. Some, I guess some of that'll break free and, and get tied up on your yeah. rigs and all that. Yeah, just yesterday. There's two types of grass that we we talk about down here. One is eel grass, and it's a really thin grass, kind of like a marsh grass, like you just. And then the other one is one we refer to, not lovingly, as slur. And the slur is something that comes up off the bottom of the bay, and it's more of an algae. So uh, eelgrass, it's real simple to get off your hook. If you get it on your hook, you just pull it off. Slur is, it's gross. It's like, I mean, most people explain it like snot. It's just a nasty, wet, gooey type of grass. So when it gets on your rig, you literally have to pull it off gloop by gloop it will discolor rigs um it will change the color of a chartreuse to a to a greener color just because of the you know chemical makeup of it it is a really really nasty grass and it's not like 
flounder don't really bite in that kind of grass because they just can't see what they're eating. Um, if eelgrass is around, no big deal. If I've got slur around, I usually don't fish. I'll move, try fishing someplace else. And if the bay is full of it, I'll go rock fishing or something instead because it's just not worth the the agony of having to go through that stuff and get it uh, tangled on your rigs every single time you drop it to the bottom. It only happens once in a while, and it only lasts for a few days at a time sometimes, but you don't want to be out there when those algae blooms uh, come popping up and you get the slur in the back bay. No, I bet. I bet. Now, pink. So I know in the Chesapeake, uh, every in the full moon in May, we get the mayworm hatch. Do you guys have any sort of like aquatic worm hatches and stuff that the fish key in on in that, that same time period or throughout the summer? We do during the summer. I don't know what they're called, but we've got this little thing. It looks like a blood worm, and it spins on the surface of the water. It is the craziest thing I've seen. I've tried to do some research on it, and I haven't just haven't found pinpoint what the thing is called, but uh, it looks just like a blood worm. It's about three to, say, six inches long, and when they come into the bay, they are here by the millions, man. And um, I don't know what they're doing on the surface, whether it's a mating ritual or if they're, um, you know, laying eggs or something like that, but when the bay gets full of those, everything is chomping because they're great for stripers, bluefish, uh, flounder. We'll eat them. It's just one of those things that kind of comes into the bay, or it's already in the bay. It's coming out of the estuaries, and it's a really strange-looking occurrence, but fishing usually gets good if the water's clean enough when those things are around because everything starts to eat. Nice, nice. So when uh... – I heard you mention, you know, water's nasty, or if you get some slur or other tough conditions, you're sliding off yep. towards uh, towards rockfish. So rockfish are in the in the inlet right now. Uh, what kind of size range? What are you throwing for them? Yep, we've uh, our resident fish. We think they are. We get these little shots of you know new fish that come in periodically when the season gets around, just from migrating up and down the coast. Um, but I've seen a few keepers, the, the the Route 50 Bridge and the Oceanic Pier right there on the corner of the inlet have seen a few keepers, and most of the fish are being caught on big shad baits, you know, uh, ounce and maybe ounce and a half lead head type baits with a shad body on it. Um, my friend uh, Big Bird Cropper makes a rig called the Roy Rig, which is a almost one ounce head with a five-inch bass assassin body on it, salt and pepper. And it is a rockfish slayer, man. It really works well for rockfish. Um, Big Bird last year caught, I think he told me the other day, he caught 850 rockfish on his trips out of Ocean City last year. I'll give you, you can count how many keepers he had on one hand. Wow. It was four, I think. Um, and those fish were 29, 30 inches, that kind of range. Um, our larger fish, if somebody catches a keeper, it's going to be from the beach, more than likely surf fishing, or when those migrating fish go by here in December or January, if we're lucky enough for them to come inside three miles, which the past few years they have not. Right, right. So, yeah, how was the uh, the spring run from the surf? Do you get out and do any surf fishing? I'm sure you hear from guys, but do you get out on the beach yeah. at all yourself? I don't. I don't. I just don't. I don't have the time to drive to the spot and put in a whole day and that sort of thing. I can jump in the boat and go flounder fishing conveniently in just two or three hours, but surf fishing for me turns into a whole day. I just. I haven't just because the other stuff I do is easier. But the spring run this year was, I'd say it was okay. It wasn't great. Um, I saw some fish come from the beach, some real big ones too. I saw I saw one just uh, about two weeks ago. It was 46 inches, really nice fish. Um, and they get caught, they catch those on on fish bites, the bloodworm fish bites. As, as funny as that sounds because it's such a small bait. They catch them on cut bunker, bunker heads, that sort of thing. 
Um, but I did see a really good run of black drum this spring. Um, I saw way more black drum than I saw stripers caught from the beach this year. And that was surprising to me. Um, just because, you know, we, you figure the striper run in the spring can be pretty good here as the fish migrate by. But I just, I think that our water um, is is too warm sometimes for them. And they stay outside of three miles and we just don't get a shot at them. Because New Jersey, they murdered them last year during the uh, winter and they had a great spring run. But down here on our coast, I just think we get, I think we get screwed for lack of a better term because that three mile line, from us, it doesn't. It's, yeah, it's only three miles from Ocean City. But when the fish migrate down the coast, I think they draw a beeline from where they're going, from where they came from. Yeah. So unless the unless the bait or the wind blows them off course, just because of the way the United States is shaped, I think we we get a bad rap because the fish migrate by off outside of three miles from us, um, unless conditions dictate otherwise. Uh, my 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 hope would be to maybe give us a you know, give us a latitudinal line where you can't fish outside if this stupid three mile thing has to stay in effect in the uh, um, EEZ zone. If they still want the EEZ zone to stay in effect, give us a latitudinal line that is a little bit more fair for the migration of the fish rather than you know three miles exactly from every shore point. Yeah, it's definitely definitely tough to figure out how to draw the lines and manage these fish that don't don't seem to. Well, we definitely don't know about our, our borders and our, our lines we draw. I know a lot of folks in Ocean City are quite often frustrated about that, that line and the, the rule in place to protect the big fish out there. And there's no question that uh, folks bump into them now and again. And, you know, when the bite happens, there's a, a lot of effort to watch that line and a lot of frustration that'll, that'll happen. But, you know, those are the rules. And, yeah, you never know. Never know what what the future might hold on that. Especially, uh, I hate to even we're not we're not going into into rockfish uh, management stuff. We're not we're not doing it. We're not doing it. But yeah. you know, it, you and I have that enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we didn't mention um, Scott uh, was appointed by the governor uh, to join the Sport Fish Advisory Commission to Maryland DNR, the uh, advisory commission I've been on. Uh, for the last many years, and Scott just joined uh, recently, um, so he gets to sit in on fisheries management stuff at at the Sport Fish Advisory Commission quarterly, and and provide that perspective to Maryland DNR for folks on the coast. So, um, you know, it's a important role to play and and kind of be a liaison between the fishing community and the folks that manage it, and uh, you know, another important hat you wear. Um, you know, in in your your world down there, but you know, back to the the fish being offshore. I was actually talking to a guy in Jersey recently uh, related to some of the rockfish stuff going on, and he was telling me. I think he was saying that we're in a period where it seems like there's a lot more east or northeast or southeast winds, and either some old timers or or you know him from his experience um, had talked about that the bait points into the wind, and if you have a, a wind that's more that's um, happening more often, you know, an easter easterly instead of like a west or northwest, which, you know, most of us are used to as our prevailing winds, that the bait will even yeah. kind of move into that wind. And I don't know what the details are behind it, but there's so much that can be, you know, we, we learn so much from just hearing, listening to people that have all that experience on the water. So basically what he's saying is in the old days with a lot of west and northwest winds, the bait would hug up against the beach and you can get them. But in more recently in these climate patterns or whatever's going on, it seems like the bait's moving offshore. And I know some folks that have told me that, you know, they, they were out doing some fish and bottom fishing and saw some funny marks and 
dropped a couple jigs and went, whoa, you know, stripers at yep. 26 miles. You know, their charter captains would immediately stop fishing for them because you're not supposed to, but they're out there, and it's a big, yep. big, big old ocean. That's one of the things that frustrates us so much is the fact that we, we see fishing reports, and, you know, with technology nowadays, you see it every day, Facebook and Instagram and what's going on in other areas of the country. And when we see New Jersey is just absolutely slaughtering stripers and guys are catching their limit every single day, and our guys can't get a pull. And then you hear Captain Monty or one of the chart or one of the uh, commercial guys saying they're stacked up like cordwood at five miles. It's just a frustrating thing because um, it, I think it has everything to do with the migration pattern and how this 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 where we are is in, on the country is shaped. Just because I don't think fish are gonna they don't cruise down the coast and say hey guys we're two miles off the beach let's head on down it, they <laughs> they make a beach where it started to where they're going and they swim in that water temperature at that depth and I think it's as simple as that so yeah. it's frustrating limit where we can't it's we, some guys not me but some guys feel like they don't even really have access to them because the line keeps them from getting to the fish as they go by they'd much rather see a change in the management, the regulations or whatever, uh, so that they can go to them outside of three miles and then only let me have one fish. They'd rather see an adjustment on that than have this hard line drawn in the sand where you can't fish for these fish. Yep. Yeah, that's understandable. I, I know I hear it quite often, and uh, it's it's a challenge. It's a it, Like they say, fisheries management is like making sausage, and there's all sorts of different ingredients you could throw in there. And, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But back, So back back to fishing. So, yeah. uh, you mentioned tog a little bit. Uh, what's the, what's it been like? How was the tog season this year? Tog season was pretty good this year. We have a, a good, the good thing for us is we have a, uh, basically year round tog fishery. Um, they're around here most of the year, unless the water gets super, super cold in January and February, we, we can catch them. Um, we've got pretty liberal, um, you know, size limits and things on them. We're allowed 16 inch fish right now. We're in a closed season. Um, they closed our season from, I think it's May 15th when sea bass season opens back up, and then they reopen Tall Tog on June 30th. So we've got this little window where we're not allowed to fish or not allowed to keep them or harvest them, but you're going to catch them anyway while you're out there sea bass fishing and that sort of thing around those structures in the ocean and around the inlet. But people just release them this time of year. And because there's so much other fish available, they really don't miss a Tall Tog for a month and a half. Um and then once they open the season back up June the 30th, you'll see a few come throughout the summer. We're allowed to keep two per person. And then when the fall comes back around and you get to October, November, especially December, uh, that's when guys will really start to go tall fishing again because everything else is kind of leaving the building. The flounder have left, if not completely. They're on the way out. Sea bass season closes on January 1st. Uh, so, you know, we, we, we start targeting tall talk pretty good on those shoulder seasons before the other fish arrive or after they've left. Um, it's a nice fishery because you, you can put some, you can count on catching some illegal sized fish that you can put in the freezer. Yeah. And tough to catch, but fantastic to eat. And they tough to catch. Yeah. It's a cap. I heard cap Monty one time say, you got to set the hook right before a tog bite. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. I, uh, I actually I had my bachelor party on cap Monty's boat two years ago and, uh, it was, it was in, well, he warned me. He said, David, uh, they haven't always, the bachelor parties don't go very well on the boat. You know, some guys just don't take me seriously and, you know, 
partying the night before and their their stomachs aren't quite right. And uh, thankfully, my group behaved themselves pretty much. Um, but everybody enjoyed themselves. Never nobody was over the rail. Everybody caught caught some nice sea bass. It was in uh, May of seventeen, and I I started jig fishing because the uh, the fish were coughing up um, sand eels and, and little you know shiner looking things. Um, and so uh, Wes, who was a mate at the time, hands me this brand new jigging rod he's got with a I think it was like a deadly dick, uh, you know, little metal. And man, I just one drop after another jig, but jig, 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 just catching the heck out of these nice sea bass. And all of a sudden, I I hooked into something that just was not a sea bass. And oh wow. Uh, yeah, it ended up being a big old tog, and um, I want to say, jig. yeah, on a jig, and I want to say, I don't know if I if I hooked it in the side or if it was like the side of its face. I I definitely did not hook it properly in the mouth. So gotcha. <laughs> but it uh, it popped up. Monty's, you know, I think Monty was either up on the on the bridge or whatever. But you know, it was a big deal. And then I we were trying to mess with it and get the net, and and she rolled and, and went back down to the deep to do her thing. So she oh, she kept so kept on going away yep yep uh, yeah i was probably gonna let Monty yeah. tag her and send her back to the deep anyway yeah good call good call but it would be nice to get some measurements off of her yeah yeah so that's and awesome that's captain Monty is a part of my fishing operation and he he does a terrific job he does some really great stuff for the ocean city reef foundation down here and he is a real conservationist when it comes to knowing that habitat and you know, regulations that are smart are going to help keep fisheries alive down here, and he's doing his part to make sure that happens. Yeah, there's no doubt that habitat is king, especially in these nearshore areas that are influenced by storms, but also have had decades of impacts of commercial gear. I mean, international fisher uh, fishing companies were were working the shores right off Ocean City, you know, for for decades, and and that's all left its mark. And so the work Monty's doing is is heavy lifting. Haha, pun intended. Right. <laughs> you know how many uh, how many blocks has he dropped now? Like twenty five thousand or something? Just dropped twenty five thousand a week and a half or two weeks ago. Yep, twenty five thousand blocks, and he he only puts. I mean, people think he's taking a ton of blocks out there every trip. He's only taking fifteen, twenty, twenty five blocks sometimes. Um, it depends on the size of them, but he you know he counts those big two by two concrete blocks as one block. Yeah, no, um, I think about a hundred pounds a piece, right? So that's a lot, of, decent yeah. amount of weight to put on the deck. Yeah, they can be a hundred pounds a piece. So some the big ones he keeps whole and he he just throws those over one piece intact. And the smaller ones, what most people would think of as a regular cinder block, he'll actually wire tie them together. He'll he'll strap them together with those really strong zip ties and throw them down six or eight or twelve cinder blocks all together. Um, because he knows he wants to have these little buildings where sea bass and tall can go and hide where rather than a big pile of cinder blocks down there where they really can't get inside of it right right and it's a i I know all those reefs he's building are just fantastic fishing spots because they're they're driftable they're low profile reef which you know you think of reef you think of a ship that we sunk or or something that's really sticking up off the bottom but those low profile reefs are extremely important especially for the species that matter to us and and uh he makes some great fishing spots yeah the ocean city reef foundation talk about a just tremendous group of folks and with a great leader and uh you know that's that's a place that folks definitely need to check out and support and um yeah he if i can give him a quick if i can give him a quick shout out he's ocreefs.org if you're into that kind of thing and you want to support a great cause 
Um, every single dime that gets donated to the Reef Foundation goes off of our coast. It's not something where he's paying a salary for himself or anybody on payroll. Um, he doesn't pay for dinners if they have events and things like that. He pays for block. He pays for the transportation to get it out there and to dump it in the water. That's it. Yep. Yeah. He, you couldn't ask for a harder working guy that's given more to the local community. And, and, uh, and I've got actually got a 2018 reef book sitting right here on my, on my side table and I'm gonna have to get my 2019. And this year I'm going to promise myself to actually get out and enjoy those reefs a little bit. I think every time I, I didn't fish with Monty. I don't know if I fished with him last summer, if not, eh, maybe just once. Um, but every time I do, I get up on top sometimes and ride out with him. I've you know gotten really fortunate to get to know him and be able to ride up there and chat with him. And uh, you know that's my favorite part of the trip just just picking his brain and learning about all the different stuff he's done. And and uh, it's such an important part of of the Ocean City landscape for sure. I agree 100. percent I think I think somebody should should come up with an award and that I could nominate him for. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a great idea. Absolutely. So, well, so sea bass, and uh, I think the season's in now, right? And boats are sailing. Yeah. So, bass fishing is really, really good right now. The um, um, they're start, actually starting to catch a couple of flounder on the wrecks too. But the sea bass is kind of they're 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 feeling coolers, man. I've had I haven't had a lot of boat limits from people, but I've had a lot of reports of we had lots of guys on the boat with a limit. Um, and sea bass have to be twelve and a half inches down here. They're allowed fifteen fish apiece. Um, and I, I would say that everybody that goes on a party boat out of Ocean City has an opportunity to catch a sea bass. Um, I've only heard of one guy, and I think Bonnie was joking, but one guy that got the skunk flag, and I think that's just because he didn't catch any keepers, anything that was big enough to keep. Um, but most everybody is catching fish, especially on those trips that go for a full day. Um, even the half-day boats are doing really well because the fish are close enough to the beach on structure that even the boats that are only running a four and a half hour trip can still have time to get out there, drop a line for a little while, catch some fish and get back in, you know, that four and a half hour window. Um, the guys like Captain Monty, they're doing the seven to three trips and the 10 hour trips on some weekends. They are doing really well with some big, big sea bass. Um, biggest one I've seen is, I think I saw one the other day that was four pounds, nine ounces. That's a jumbo sea bass. Yeah. Yeah. And what was that? I just saw a record, um, a state record for what a red hake or, or something like that. What was it? Yeah, that? it was, it was a red hake. Yeah. That was a guy fishing on a private boat and he was out sea bass fishing and he did, he called a red, uh, state record red hake. I think it was 16 pounds. Um, that range, that, that is a huge fish and we don't catch a bunch of them over here. Um, that's in that, you know, that's in that Pollock uh, group pollock and monkfish and things like that that are the rare fish that you catch on a party boat once in a while that are really really delicious to eat absolutely yeah no doubt about it well that's great yeah and there's uh, yeah on your i know I'm, I'm almost certain i know you're doing fishing reports on your website but you've also got a list of great boats that folks can uh point towards for you know sea bass fishing flounder fishing in the bay all that kind of stuff inshore right yeah yeah we are that that's a that's a great uh, mention, man. I appreciate that. Fishinoc.com was set up originally to try and get people to come to fish in OC. That's why we came up with the name that it is. Um, we want people to come down here and either book a charter, fish on their own, or go on a party boat and just enjoy the fishing that we have to offer here in Ocean City. And our website has all of it. Um, if you go to fishinoc.com, the inshore tab that you'll find at the top is a drop down, and you'll go to the inshore tab, and you can see fishing piers, rental boats, companies, um, party boats, 
charter boats. You click on one of those links, and it takes you to the page with all of our, our, our partners. Um, we've got several inshore charter boats to choose from that fish for flounder and sea bass and stripers and bluefish, and some guys will even take you crabbing. We've got a guy that fishes the Pocomoke River here on, in Worcester County. Um, the party boats, we've got party boats that fish the bay for flounder. We've got party boats that fish the ocean, like Captain Monty, for sea bass and tog and flounder during the summer. Uh, it's a really comprehensive website where people can get in touch with the people that make a living uh, taking other people fishing and do it really, really well. Um, and that's just on the inshore side. We've also got an offshore tab where you hit the offshore button and it takes you to charter boats as well. And we've got an entire offshore fleet available for the people that want to take a six-pack charter out and catch tunas and mahi and marlin and that sort of thing on a day's trip. Um, well, that's a, a, uh, that's a perfect segue into the next fishery we get to talk about in Ocean City. Hey, offshore. Yeah. So what, did yeah. I just see some, somebody just made some money with a, a pointy fish. You did the uh, the old the old long nose uh, white marlin. The the first official white marlin of the season was caught just this past weekend uh, by a boat called the Uncle Keith. They were fishing the Washington Canyon uh, on an overnight trip, and I'll explain this in a second. But there's a little controversy because some people think that you're not allowed to catch a white marlin on an overnight trip and have it count, but you actually are allowed to do that. Um, most of the the three entities that pay money into the first white marlin are. A group of businesses called the Fishermen United, the Ocean City Marlin Club, and the Town of Ocean City. Um, Town of Ocean City and the Ocean City Marlin Club pay $5,000 each. The Fishermen United pay $6,000. So if the person that catches the first white marlin of the season is an Ocean City Marlin Club member, they have the potential to win $16,000 total. The guys that caught the first fish this past Saturday we're not Ocean City Marlin Club members. So they'll win the 6000 from Fishermen United, 5000 from the town of Ocean City for $11,000. And then the very next day, uh, Captain Steve Sealander, on his very first trip on his new boat, caught the first white marlin as a Marlin Club member, so he'll win the $5,000 from the Marlin Club. Fantastic. Spread it around a little bit. It is, it is right. It did. And, and I think what's happened is um, because of the popularity of fishing in Ocean City, not my business, but in general, um, I think more private boats are, are doing that. The more private boats are coming down here early season and trying to catch tunas and they're trying to catch mahi and they're seeing the reports that we're putting out. So they're, they're spending money on fuel and getting out there trying to catch fish. And then what happens is they accidentally catch the first white marlin of the season. Yep. So because there's more people on the water, up until like maybe two years ago, the first fish of the season was always caught by a marlin club member. Because they were the guys that were, you know, the 50 and 60 footers chugging off the beach, deep water, warm water where white marlin might be. And that's all changed, man. That's all changed because of technology and fishing reports coming out on the internet. So we've got a lot more private boat anglers that are going out there that just aren't members of the marlin club um, that are catching these first fish and being rewarded for it, um, which I think is a pretty cool thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, you know, growing up as a kid and being spending a lot of time at the beach, we'd always you know charter a boat out of one of the marinas when my my dad would come down and maybe bring some business friends or something. And so I was fortunate enough to go offshore quite a bit. Uh, quite often, it was just riding around and trying to keep my lunch down. But um, as I got older and you know got into it, you know when you have that first great day, oh man, is it? It's just just you catch the bug and it never leaves. And I 
you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to spend a lot of time offshore, and it's just so much fun. Just catching one fish is, is really cool out there. The the stuff you see, the the clear blue water, you know, just the the fun and, and the adventure of it all. You know, sea turtles and whales yep. and, and all that stuff. So I mean, it's amazing. You know, it is blast. so many people don't realize what is literally right off the shores of of Maryland. It you might as, it's, you might as well people you know it's just like sitting at home watching Discovery Channel Blue Planet. Like go out there and enjoy it. Look down over the boat and look at them. Yep, and you never know what you're going to catch, man. Never. You never know. It, two, I think it was two years ago now. We had an opa caught off of our coast. A what? An opa, O P A H. Actually, two of them, the same boat. Called an OPA, a month apart. Am I going to have to get out the Google machine and figure out what that is? No, you you might if you want to, but it's a fish that they normally catch in Hawaii, places like that. You know the you ever seen the big uh, orange looking fish with spots? Have you, have you seen them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, go look it up, OPA, O P A H, and see where they normally are caught. There's there's only in the history of Ocean City, I think, been maybe three or four caught. They were all caught by long line boats in the deep blue ocean. And two years ago, Austin Enzer was sword fishing and he got a bite and he reeled it up and I'll leave out the words he used, but he, he said, Oh my God, that's an OPA. And as it came up to the surface, they realized what it was. I had him, he texted me from offshore saying, man, am I even allowed to kill this thing? I called my local DNR connection. He said, well, they're not regulated in Maryland. So yeah, I guess so. Um, he did. He put it in the boat and he brought it back to the, the marina and it was a I think it was a hundred and fifty some pounds. Wow. An ab- huge fish and one of the best eating fish in the ocean on the entire planet, much less the Atlantic Ocean. Um but like I say, you will you never know what you are gonna catch off here. That's great. Yeah, and with all the uh, like you mentioned, the you know, the private boats and the smaller boats can get into the offshore game and there's so many great resources. In fact, you know, I saw you have uh, or you have local tackle shops listed on your on your website. So there's a whole bunch of different jumping off points from local marinas and tackle shops in Ocean City, and you know, of course, with the with the internet, we have some great web resources for information. And uh, to have a small boat be able to get out there, or private guys that don't get have to do it every day, or don't get to do it every day, head out there and and catch a anything like even an opa. I mean, that's that's some pretty cool stuff. I've been lucky enough to do some overnighters on small boats and. You know, you got to have your ducks in a row and all your safety equipment together. But, man, yeah. you can really have a cool adventure and come home with some great stuff to plenty of meat to share with friends and family and, and have, a, you know, to finish off a great day on the water. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the people that are, but, you know, most of the people that we that are fishermen are outdoorsmen in general. They just love being outside and, and taking advantage of what Mother Nature has for us. And uh, I think down here in Ocean the perfect place to do that because some people I talk to people all winter long that have never even seen the ocean. And I talk to people in Pennsylvania, New York, and New Jersey as I do my trade show circuit during the winter trying to get people to come to the beach and experience us. And uh, they haven't ever even seen the ocean. So to go from not ever seeing the ocean to catching an offshore species is a pretty huge jump. But once those people do that, they want to come back every single year and do it again. You know, outdoorsmen, they're great folks, right? You know, look at us. Yeah, I mean, I think you're a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to record that. Um, yeah, I think- no, no, so, well, in to me, uh, you know, Ocean City, the white marlin capital of the world, right? Yeah. And you drive over into town, and there's that statue of the of the white marlin lit up. And you know, we've had some really good white marlin fishing in the last many years, but it wasn't always that way. And 
you know, the offshore fishing community, you can, you don't have to look very far to see the economic impact that that fishing has. And you also don't have to go very far to run into a captain or a mate or a fisherman that really just cares so much about these fish. I mean, tunas, marlin, you know, marlin especially. I mean, amazing boats to go out there to fish for them, to release them, you know, to give a little quick, I mean, a very quick fight in a lot of cases. I mean, a lot of boats, you get out there in the middle of a big bite, you watch them backing down and black smoke puffing, and the quicker you can get the release, you know, they want to rank up some numbers. And, you know, there's been some really impressive numbers come out of Ocean City, and all because of conservation and, and various rules being put in place that groups like CCA and many others around the country have worked on on a national level to make sure that this really important resource is there for uh, for current generations and future generations. But talk about some of the numbers. I know some records have been set in the last many years. And, you know, what's like, yeah. a, what's what's white marlin fishing like? And when is it when is it the best? When does it uh, kind of tail off? You know, what, when should folks go if they really want to catch a white marlin? We usually catch the first fish of the season sometime in June. Um, it's been caught as early as late May, 25th or 26th, I think was the earliest it's ever been caught. And we usually catch the last white marlin sometime in late September, early October, as they've left, left the area, depending on the water temperature. <clears throat> the prime season that I think for them is at the end of the year when they're getting ready to leave because the bulk of the fish are here. They're feeding heavily before they migrate. Sometimes they're close enough to us to be able to get out and get on top of them. They've, they've, the fish have come together in these large pods, um, and they're easily they're easily caught because you can target them and you can go to an area and catch, you know, have have shots at ten, fifteen, twenty, sometimes more fish, and catch maybe seven, eight, ten, fifteen of them on a day's trip. That's usually first, second, third week in September, depending on the water temperature. A few years ago. Uh, probably five or six years ago now, a boat called the Bill Fisher, and you imagine it pretty good with a name like Bill Fisher. They left Ocean City Inlet. They went and fished somewhere around the Washington, Norfolk area canyons, and they released 57 white marlin on a day's trip. Wow. 57. Um, just last year, last year or the year before, the white marlin open set a record for billfish for white marlin releases. It was somewhere... 2,500, 3,000, somewhere in that range for a five day tournament with a couple of hundred boats in it. That's amazing. It was, yeah, it's, and, and, and from what I'm hearing, some places around the world are saying that white marlin populations are on the decline. <clears throat> hmm. So it's, I, I, that, that's why I need people to be able to back this data up <laughs> they're giving us because seeing it in person and, and hear about the catches on a pretty much daily basis. I don't see some of the things that they're telling us, man. I don't yeah. see some of the things. But I got to play devil's advocate once in a while and, and say, you know, hold on. Why are you telling me that? Because that's not what I'm seeing. Right, right. And that's, you know, if people are going to get behind, uh, you know, conservation measures and rules, it's important that they understand it and they, they have some ownership in it and, and can respect those those rules or at least how we got to that point. And, uh, you know, that's an important part of the of the conservation world and, and why it's really important that, that anglers can have involvement in the process um, like you and I get to have, uh, you know, a little bit and, um, but also the everyday angler can kind of weigh in and, and get involved in this stuff. If, if that's the kind of foot person they are, if, you know, they want to get engaged in that. Um, there's no doubt that that input is important and, uh, being part of the process and, and 
even more importantly, it's you got to get out there and catch them every once in a while and really make sure that, you know, to compare that anecdotal experience to, to what you're seeing on paper or in a, in a meeting. Um, and there's no better place to go than, you know, sitting in the, in the back of a nice big sport fisher and waiting for that, you know, that blue marlin to show up all lit up in stripes and peck fins out and chasing down that bait or sticking its nose in the middle of a dredge. I mean, there is literally nothing better. And, you know, it just to uh, just see it once is worth it. Catch them or not, that is exciting stuff, man. Yeah, it really Catch is. Yeah. So, so June, um, I've I've been hearing it's not just marlin yet. I mean, one got caught, and that's great. Some folks went on with some money, but I've been hearing a little buzz about some tuna. And in fact, I got a call from a friend of mine who uh, who even in a small boat said, "Hey, man, you want to go?" And unfortunately, I had to turn down the trip. But it sounds like there's Ooh. some stuff in reach right now. Yeah, we're in a little bit of a lull right now because the water temperatures are warming up, so the blue fins are kind of spreading out. But it was a really, really good start to the season. Um, and here, here you and I are talking on let's say June fourth. Yep. Yeah, when I first came to Ocean City, they didn't even talk about catching the tuna until June fifteenth, June twentieth, somewhere in that in that range. And I think a lot of it had to do with the you know the boats. You know, boats weren't as fast, they weren't as big, that sort of thing. We didn't have technology that gave us water shots. Um, of temperatures and things like that early on in the season, but they, they wouldn't even talk about catching a tuna until mid-June. Everybody focused on mako sharks and that sort of thing at the end of May and the first part of June. Nowadays, it's the middle of May. We're catching the first tunas of the season. And I think people get a little bit complacent because they say, oh man, it's early June and the tuna bites slowed up. wonder what the season is going to be like. And I try and remind them, dude, 15 years ago, you didn't catch a tuna until June 15th. You've already caught 15 this so far this year um you got to keep it all in perspective so this little lull that we're in right now is going to change and we're going to have yellow fins show up here uh, i was going to say any time but they already have we had a boat go just last week they caught some really nice yellow fins out there in the canyons but we're in that water temperature now where it's it's kind of a kind of a transition period blue fins don't like it real warm you know they like mid to upper 60s yellow fins don't like it real cold they like it upper 60s to 75 80 degrees sometimes even that's a little bit warm but right now we're in that upper 60 range so you can see both of them or you can see neither of them and uh right now we're 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 still seeing some fish it just wasn't as good as it was last week for bluefins and we're not seeing a ton of yellowfins yet but that's going to change really really quickly uh, the bluefin bite up until just for three or four days ago was really really good where boats were catching their limit of bluefins uh, which was is four for charter boats and party boats and three for private boats. Um, yellowfin tunas are allowed three per person on there, so they're allowed a, a maximum of 18 on a charter boat. Um, I haven't seen anybody even getting close to that yet. You know, we had four or five fish on one boat the other day, another you know six on a, on a boat last week, um, and the fish are in that 30 to maybe 45 pound range. But I expect at some point in the next week or so to start seeing some of those you know, nice 50-pound yellowfins from somewhere in the canyons, Washington, probably, where it's a little bit south of us and warms up a little quicker. Uh, but it's all water-dependent, and if we don't get those eddies coming off of the Gulf Stream, then you know it could, it could not happen. But they happen every year. It's just a matter of when. Yeah, absolutely. And it's... And then the, uh, of course, the yellowfin's big cousin, the big eye. I know Ocean City's had a yep. pretty good big eye bite, a pretty good run the last few years. Um, any of them hit the dock yet, or any thoughts on when they might? Yeah, saw the first one last Monday, just uh, just a week ago, um, and it was a nice fish, 125 pounds or so. And the guys that I spoke to um, about it, they had another bigger one on that they lost. 
So they were in the right area, right time. And same day, we were looking at reports from North Carolina of 150 and 175 pounders up on their nose on the dock. And it was really, really good in the Carolinas. So if those fish migrate up this way, like they usually do, uh, we could see a really good bite with those two. And not a ton of them caught. I think there's only been probably two or three that have hit the dock in Ocean City so far, but they have arrived, which is a really, really good sign because that means the water temperature is getting to where the yellow fins and the big eyes are comfortable. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, it's, I always call, or many people call Maryland American miniature because we've got so many great fishing opportunities, you know, from west to east. And heck, for the, you know, we've been talking about just a small area, you know, Ocean City out to 80 miles or so and all the diverse fisheries that happen there. And they're readily accessible. I mean, the inshore boats are l- less expensive. Um, you can go out for a few hours. So as folks are planning their vacations down to Ocean City, you know, get out there and, and check out fishingoc.com and, uh, and, you know, book a trip with a local guide, give it a try, uh, get your feet wet, um, in, in the, you know, in the, in the inshore waters in the back bay, try with a flounder, get some kids out fishing. It's a, a great opportunity for kids to go fishing. And then, uh, and then as you season goes on, or if you get the right group of folks together, head down to a marina and, and book one of these great charter boats and, and go out. It's the experience of a lifetime. And, you know, you don't have to catch 18 yellowfins that have plenty of meat. You know, just a couple fish is plenty of meat to go around. It's that, you know, fresh, beautiful ahi tuna. Uh, you can't beat it. And then uh, even, a, even a white marlin or any kind of marlin, uh, you cannot forget the important tradition when you catch your first billfish. And, and what is that, Scott? What happens when somebody catches their first billfish? You get thrown in the water, man. You got And if you don't, you're going to give the boat bad luck. So the first thing you do when you get back, some people actually do it offshore. <laughs> but the first thing you do when you get back is you get christened for catching your first white marlin or your blue, first blue marlin, what have you, and you go in the drink. So I caught my first blue marlin down in North Carolina many years ago and did not get creaked, did not get thrown in the water. And, uh, yeah. nope. And then a couple, I don't know, a month or two later, I was up in Ocean City fishing with a friend and we got skunked. And, you know, we got skunked again, I think, on a second trip. And they're like, man, what the heck? What's going on? There's boats around us catching a bunch of fish. And we had brought up the fact that I never got creaked. And, uh, yep. well, that night we ended up at uh, Bahia Marina where you got your start. And we we're hanging out at Fishtails. And um, I got a little bit too close to the edge. And somebody decided it was my time to celebrate my first billfish. And I had to go swimming in the marina. You had happen. What I was going to mention could happen to someone if they don't do it voluntarily. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, it happened. Yep. And I went home that night. Uh, you know, it was towards the end of the night and I didn't have a change of clothes in my truck. I ended up having a pair of Grundens, you know, the, the bibs. <laughs> and I distinctly remember riding home with nothing but flip flops and a pair of Grundens. And I mean, nothing. Oh. <laughs> So don't let that happen to you. Make sure you you get you, you jump in yep. offshore or, or you know head into one of the marinas and make sure you take your leap. It's it's good luck. And if if you don't don't carry your phone or valuables around with you for the next six to ten months because you're going in the water at some point. If anybody on the boat was with you, exactly. Yeah, I, I will say I did get warned slightly. Um, you know, somebody reached in my pocket real quick and grabbed my phone before I got creaked. But you know, that's pretty oh, that's, cool. And, good. Now, but yeah, so, I bet your fish after that too oh my fishing got much better got much better um in fact i can't remember how it all went down but i think uh we had a little stuffed animal um skunk that i won in one of the claw machines and we actually like zip tied it to the uh to the outrigger in the boat and we were trying to get rid of the skunk and the skunk rode around with us for a couple trips (laughs) that's not good that's not good no so 
what uh, what else? I, I think you and I were talking the other day about some cool award that uh, is going on when folks catch their first billfish, or or you know, like yeah. any billfish releases a citation in Maryland, correct? Yeah, any billfish releases a citation in Maryland. But what uh, what Ocean City used to do that Fish and OC is bringing back with the town of Ocean City uh, is your first white marlin certificate. So. If you come to Ocean City and you are lucky enough to catch your first white marlin in the white marlin capital of the world, um, we just finished. We actually just actually just finished the online submission. You will go to our website. Uh, you'll pull up the first white marlin form uh, tab, and you'll go fill out the pertinent information. And in seven to ten days, you'll get a certificate from the town of Ocean City, signed by the mayor, uh, with your information about your catch on a nice certificate that you can put in a frame and put on the wall if you feel like it. it's going to be a really cool thing. Um, and we're proud to bring it back. You know, we thought it was something that was missing because people come to the white Marlin capital of the world, quote unquote, and they don't get anything for catching their first white Marlin. I don't think that's very good. So we decided to get to offer the town uh, a proposal. They love the idea. And now through our website and in conjunction with the town of Ocean City, people will get a nice certificate when they catch their first white Marlin here in Ocean City. That's great. That's great. Local business working with the town to make, uh, you know, make sure that folks can always remember that that experience in Ocean City, Maryland. And as we mentioned, there's so many great fishing experiences that, so we know it, that folks can head to fishinoc.com. So F-I-S-H-I-N-O-C.com. Where else can folks find you, Scott? And what else can uh, folks follow along to make sure they're on top of what's happening down in Ocean City? We're big time on social media, man. Whenever we do a fishing report, we share it to our Facebook page. Our Facebook page is Fishing OC as well. Um, and our Instagram is iFishingOC, where we put up pictures of all sorts of tournament action, first fish of the season, some of my personal fishing uh, trips and things like that. Um, and I don't want people to forget Hooked on OC either. HookedOnOC.com is a great place to see our show. You can see past and current episodes. Uh, we do a lot of coverage for tournaments this sum- coming summer. Uh, through Hooked on OC, Fishing OC, and Hooked on OC will be covering the White Marlin Open live. So you can watch that live at whitemarlinopen.com. We'll be covering the Ocean City Tuna Tournament live. You can watch that as fish come to the dock right from the comfort of your home. We'll be doing the Big Fish Classic in, at the end of July, so you can watch that live. Uh, and we'll also be doing the Mid-Atlantic um, out of Cape May and Ocean City, so you'll be able to see two ports as fish come back to the dock and you don't even have to leave your easy chair. That's great. That's great. Yeah. If you can't be there, you might as well just log in and check it out. And, uh, you know, I know Mr. Messick, Dave Messick, the, the technology guy behind and, you know, cameraman behind hooked on OC talk about talented. And you said 15 years of capturing what's going on in the fishing world in ocean city. Uh, that's just us, dude. He was doing hardcore offshore for five years before that. Dave, Dave Messick, um, and I are a really good team. Um, like I said, Dave does all the hard work. He makes me look good as I just stand there and talk about fishing in front of the camera and be me. You know me, Dave. You know I become friends over the course of the years. I know that me talking to you right now is just how I am on a TV show and just how I am on covering a tournament. Uh, you get Scott Lennox whenever you, whatever it is you happen to be doing with me, fishing OC, hooked on OC, or otherwise. Um, and Dave Messick, I got to give him props. He is really good at his job. He captures beautiful images. And he puts them together with music sometimes. Um, he knows how to spread out our commercial breaks on the show to make a really great product. Um, and he's been doing it down here for, I think I heard him say the other day, he's been filming down here skateboarding or fishing for 30 years. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And the, uh, so, and Hooked on OC is on YouTube as well, right? Yeah. Hooked on OC is on YouTube. We've also got a ton of other stuff on our YouTube channel and that's a different address. It's a little bit strange. It's youtube.com. Here's the strange part. It's forward slash unseen pro U N S C E N E P R O. Uh, that's the name of Dave's uh, production business that produces Hooked on OC, Worcester County Tourism television show called Beach and Beyond, and all of the other videos that we do for the town of Ocean City, all the other fishing events that we cover, the surfing, uh, everything that he does is on Unseen Pro's YouTube channel, including Hooked on OC television show. That's great. Well, I'll tell you, both of you guys are uh, hardworking and uh, put out some great information for, for the area so folks know how to get out there and enjoy Ocean City. I know you mentioned a couple of great fishing tournaments. I'm going to plug one uh, that CCA is lucky enough to be involved in, and that's the uh, Fish and Paddle Saltwater Slam. So that's a new kayak and stand-up paddleboard tournament um, that's happening at the end of this month in June. And you can check that, one, check that one out at uh, fishandpaddle.com. And if that dude, if anybody, I had talked to a friend just the other day that asked me, hey, what's that tournament about? And I said, dude, if you have a kayak and you know how to fish, you need to get into that event because they're guaranteeing $7,000 payout. Amazing. Guaranteeing. Whether there's two, two kayaks in it or 2,000 kayaks in it, $7,000 is getting paid out. And that is remarkable to be doing that. It really is. And, that, and what a kayak-friendly fishing area. I mean, right around yeah. West OC and in the inlet, up and down Assateague. Um, I haven't looked at all the rules, but I'm sure there's different. Uh, I know there are some tips actually on where you should fish in the back bays and such on the fishandpaddle.com website, um, and it's it's just made for for kayak fishing. I mean, it's protected waters, and even if the wind comes up and stuff, there's you know it's, it's safe. You can you can uh, get out of harm's way without a, without question and and catch some great fish. Absolutely can. And Dave, you know we started a couple of years ago our, our uh, October inshore fishing tournament called the Inshore Classic that Dave and I put on. Last year, the winning rockfish was a kayak fisherman. I love it. First place fish was a kayak fisherman. Well, and there's so, you know, again, there's so much. Ocean City is a small place. You know, what are there? Just a couple miles of shoreline there. But so many cool little unique fishing areas and spots you can, you know, shoreline access, fishing piers. If you have a kayak or a stand-up paddleboard, um, all the way up to a, you know, 60-foot or 70-foot custom bill fishing boat. They're all right there, and, and that's what's so great about the town, and Maryland's lucky to have such a, a great connection to uh, to our ocean and to our shore, you know, like in a, in a town like Ocean City. So, again, fishing OC, uh, you know, Scott, I know you're just a wealth of information. We've just begun to scratch the surface of the stuff you could tell us about fishing in Ocean City, but your website does a great job of that. Um, also, you. you mentioned your uh, magazine. Where can folks find that? The magazine is actually, uh, if you want to look at it digitally, it's right on the front page of our website, fishingoc.com. You'll see a spot that says View Our Magazine. You can click through it right there, digital version. Uh, or we have it uh, on at most basically local high-traffic locations. We've got it at Walmart here in West Ocean City, both Wawa's, all of the tackle shops, all of the marina offices have it. And then periodically you'll see it at a place like Coldwell Banker has it at their check-in locations, that sort of thing. So it's all over the place. Only comes out once a year. We did it more of like a vacation style, uh, guide style, um, but it really is a cool magazine. Dale Timmons writes some articles for me. Frankie Petalina, captain of the Last Call and president of the Ocean City Marlin Club, does an article for me. Uh, we've got some really cool stuff in there. Tide chart, uh, what we catch, what time of the year. So it's and also everything that's on our website is in our magazine. So you can flip the pages and get the contact information for inshore, offshore charters, party boats, piers, you name it. 
Well, that's fantastic, Scott. Well, thank you so much for the time today and getting the word out about what's happening in Ocean City. Things are not just Chesapeake Bay in Maryland. Get out there and enjoy the coast. Check out fishingoc.com and check out all these great resources we've talked about today. And, uh, Scott, I look forward to hopefully getting on the water with you soon. Maybe uh, maybe your wife can uh, help me catch a flounder. You know what, man? If you want to go, I'll drive the boat. She can show you all the rigging and things <laughs> and catch you a flounder, man, because I can't do it when she's around. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds exactly right. My wife for years told me, uh, she said, you know, I see pictures of you catching fish, but every time we go, I outfish you. <laughs> I did not argue. She's right. Exactly right. Just keep quiet. And you're right, huh? Yep. Keep. That's keep, right. Be in the box. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on the What's on the Line po- podcast. Uh, this is episode three with Scott Lennox at fishingoc.com. Mm-hmm.